How are we doing, guys? All right. It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Ian. I'm a family ministry pastor down in Cedar Rapids. Uh, it's always a joy to be up here with you guys. I love being with you all, being able to worship with you and open up God's Word. Uh, if you're new uh, to us or you're just kind of jumping in kind of sporadically, uh, we're walking through the book of James as a church. And it is, honestly, it's been a really challenging study, at least for me. Not challenging to understand necessarily. Uh, James is pretty straightforward, but really challenging in how we apply it to our lives. Uh, it has been challenging for me and my family, and it's probably been challenging for you. Uh, there have been hard truths that require a change in heart, uh, and this week isn't much different. Uh, not going to lie, we're just going to continue seeing James rebuking the people in the church that have been living according to more of a secular worldview than a Christian worldview. We've got a bunch of church people who are acting like the world, and James is saying that's not okay. And so that's really what we're continuing on with this morning as we walk through James, and specifically in how the people in these churches are planning their future. Do I have any planners in here? Anyone who's just really type A, plan out all the details? A few, some of you aren't being honest. I know that. Uh, my wife is one of those people. And what I have also come to gather is that typically if you're married and you are a type A planned out person, you wish the person you are married to is more type A and planned out than they are. My wife wishes I was a little more uh, worried about details and planned out than I am. Uh, I plan about some things, but not everything. Uh, and we all plan to some extent. We all plan some parts of our life. We plan what we're going to eat. We plan our next meal. We plan uh, the job that we're going to have. We plan our work day. We plan what we're going to do when we get home. We plan our vacations. We plan all of these things. And that's just kind of how we live our life. We plan, take one plan at a time. And uh, what determines a successful plan? What determines if it's actually a good plan that you have or if it's a bad plan? Oftentimes, it's the result of the plan, right? Uh, like, I had a plan to propose to and marry my wife. It ended up being a good plan. It worked. Uh, she said yes. Four months later, we got married. Now, if we wouldn't have gotten married or if she would have said no, people may have been like, well, did you actually have a good plan? Like, was that actually the best thing that you should have done? Uh, maybe your plan was wrong. Maybe how you executed your plan was wrong because oftentimes we judge a good plan or a bad plan by the outcome of it. But what I think James wants us to wants us to really get this morning as we're walking through these verses is what if a good plan or a bad plan isn't determined by the outcome? What if the most dangerous part of our planning or the worst plans come from not the plan itself but how we make the plan? Not the outcome, but actually the start of the planning process. What if that is the most dangerous part of our planning? And so how do we avoid making bad plans? That's what the Holy Spirit's going to throw us, show us through James this morning as we jump into what does it look like to make good plans. And this kind of can seem pretty surface level, really tangible and applicable up front. And it is like I want it to be really applicable to your life. But by the time we get done, you'll see this is far more than just about making plans. This is about a change of heart. And so uh, with that, let's jump in. James 4, we're going to start in verse 13. Um, so let's go. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. So first off, the come now, like uh, this isn't like a, Hey, come on, let's go. 
Like, James is kind of really pushing into the people. This is like the look that you give your kid when they do something really stupid, and you don't even need to say anything like that. Come on, seriously? Like, that's what James is doing. He's saying, come on now, guys, really? Come on. You can tell he's getting ready to lean into them a little bit. He's getting ready to push in, challenge them on the way that they have been living. And this verse, the rest of the verse, shows us who he's talking to and what he's actually upset about. It's telling us who he's talking to and what is kind of upsetting to him. It says, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. So he's talking to merchants. He's talking to traders. Most often or most likely they are rich people, people who are wealthy based on the work that they have been doing. And here's what's getting him worked up. That they're making plans. What's getting them, him worked up is that they're making plans to do this and that. They're planning their days. They're planning their years. They're planning their months. And they're planning the outcome of those plans. Saying, we are going to make money. That seems kind of like a weird thing for James to get so upset about. Like in the previous verses that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, it's like, I mean, he challenges them about being spiritual adulterers. Like, that seems worthy to call out. But, like, making plans, making money, like, we're, we're going to call that out? We're going to have that kind of tone? But James is obviously, he's upset about something. He's rebuking them for making plans and planning out their life the way that they are. Now, before we get into, like, why he's so upset about this, I want to make clear a couple of things. I want to make clear why, like, what he's not upset at. I want to make it clear that James is not upset about them actually making plans, like the physical plans that they're making. He's upset about the way they've gone about it. He's not upset about the plans that they're making. Because sometimes I hear some spontaneous people, or lazy people maybe, uh, use this as an excuse to not make any plans. They're like, well, James says this. And he's like, well, actually... Yeah, he does, but that's not really what he's getting at. Because the Bible is full of all sorts of wisdom when it comes with making plans. Look at Proverbs 15.22. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 24.27, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. God isn't anti-planning. He's not anti-making plans. He's actually pro-planning. He wants you to plan. He wants you to plan with wise community. He wants you to plan diligently so you can get your work done. That's good stewardship. Good stewardship requires planning. So James isn't upset that they're making plans. That's not what he's upset about. He's also not upset that they're trying to make money. Because there's nothing wrong with making money or making a profit. There's nothing wrong with honest work and making honest money from honest work. James isn't upset about that because, once again, the Bible tells us a lot about working hard. The Bible tells us a lot about making money and how we use our money. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his law and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Like Wealth can't be a gift from God to be enjoyed and be bad in and of itself. Like, it can't be that way. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And then Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. We're instructed to work hard. 
We're instructed to make money. Like, especially as the man of a household, like, we're instructed to provide for our family. Like, making money and providing is not a bad thing. It is a godly thing. It's something that God's Word tells us to do. So if we read James in the context of the rest of Scripture, we know that James isn't upset about them making plans. We know James is not upset about them making money. So don't read this and make false assumptions. Don't use this to defend your laziness and not making plans. Don't use this to defend your laziness and not working at making money. That's not what James is rebuking. That's not what he is upset about. And so what's the big deal? What's the big deal behind their planning? What's the big deal behind what they are doing here? Let's read the whole passage and get a more full picture of what's happening here. 13 through 17. So it's come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So James, he's not upset about the planning. He's not upset about the making of money. It's how they're going about making their plans. It's not that they're planning. It's not what they're planning to do. But it's how they go about making their plans. How they have decided this is what's going to happen. How they're going to live their life. Their planning is completely absent of God. Like, nowhere here in verse 13 do we see them seeking God for the plans that they're making. Like, the plans that they're making disregard God completely. They go about making their plans like they are in charge of their life. And that's what James is calling out. He's not calling out them making plans. He's calling out them making plans like they are in charge. Them making plans like they are in control of the life that they live. Like they know everything, are in control of everything, and are in charge of everything. And the really sad thing about this is that James is talking to like proclaiming Christians. He's talking to church people. And he's saying, hey, you might claim the name of Jesus for salvation, but you're not actively living like a Christian. You might claim his name for salvation, but you're not like living according to faith. And you might, see, you might be like, that doesn't sound very Christian. Like, that doesn't sound like the way a Christian should live. And like, you're right. Like, that's the point. That's what James is saying here. It's like, this should sound wrong. It should sound wrong to say you are a Christian and to not live like one. It should sound wrong to say you're a Christian, but not seek God in the way that you plan your life. To not seek God in the way that you're going to live. To not seek God in the plans that you make. They aren't planning like Christians or going about their living like Christians. And we can easily say, sitting here, it's like, well, that seems kind of dumb. They shouldn't do that. It's like, it seems pretty foolish to go about living life disregarding God, making plans absent from God. But Veritas, I think we can far too often do the exact same thing with our life. Where we can claim the name of Jesus for salvation, but we can go about our day-to-day living completely absent with the thought of God, disregarding God in everything else that we do. 
We can call on Jesus to forgive us of our sins, but not to direct our steps. And that is foolish. I was talking to Jake about this message, and he posed a question I just want to ask you guys. Here's the question. He says, outside of a profession of faith, would someone be able to look at your life and tell that you love Jesus? Outside of a profession of faith, would someone be able to look at your life and tell that you love Jesus? Like, maybe a little more pointed. If someone opened up your bank account, what would they say that you love? Like, oh, let's not talk about that one. (laughs) If they looked at your screen time, what would they say that you are devoted to? They looked at your calendar. What would they say that is most important to your life? I think far too often we say that we love Jesus because he saves us, yet we don't let him direct us. We don't seek him in directing our lives and planning what we will do, where we will go, how we will live. We forget him in planning our vacations and planning our retirement in planning our college, our career path, our family, our entertainment, and our finances. We do exactly what these merchants and traders do. They plan their life, where they will go, what they will do, what the outcome will be, and we completely disregard God in the midst of it. Maybe if you want to get a little more personal, I've had conversations with people over the years. We're going to say, yeah, we don't really want to have kids. Uh, They're just so expensive. Or we don't want to have any more kids because it costs a lot of money. And so we're just not going to do that. It's like, oh, did did you see God in that? Like, did you see God's will for your family in that? Or did you just do what was comfortable? Because God's word tells us that kids are a blessing. And his plan is to be fruitful and multiply. So was it God's plan for you to stop having kids? Or was it your own? Or maybe let's talk finances. That's always fun. How many of you guys go straight to making a budget? What you need to live, what you want to save, and then you just throw the leftovers to God. Like, ah, surely that's good enough. And you would never package it like that. But that's what we do. It's like, did you actually seek God in making your budget? Did you, like, seek first the kingdom? Did you first give back to God prior to making the rest of your budget and determining what you're going to save and how you're going to live? Or did you just plan that on your own to make the most comfortable life that you can make for yourself? To build up your own wealth here on earth? To make retirement a little more cushy for you? Did you plan out your finances or did you seek God in it? Or what about where you live? Why did you choose to live around here? Was it the land was just cheaper? The market was better? Maybe it was a little more privacy? Did you seek God in where you were going to live? Did you seek God in where he would have you put down roots? Because maybe God cares a little bit less about your comfort than he does his mission. And maybe if you were to seek God, maybe he would want you to go on a church plan, which some of you did, praise God for. Maybe he would want some of you to go overseas on missions. Maybe some of you, he would want to live in the city so that you can better evangelize to the people next to you. 
See, far too often we get caught up in planning our life the way we want to live, where we will go, what we will do, how long we will do it, how much money we'll make, and we completely leave God out of the equation. And we just hope that he blesses it. Now, I'm not saying that your plans for your family, your finances, where you live, I'm not saying that any of your plans for those things are wrong. What I am saying, though, is that if you went about making the plans for your family, went about making the plans for your finances, and went about making the plans for where you live all on your own without seeking the Lord in his kingdom, in his will, that is wrong. That's what James is getting so fired up about here. That's what he's getting so upset about is that these people so often forget God and we so often forget God in our planning. We so often forget God in how we live our lives. We remember him in salvation and that's it. And what James is saying here, what God is telling us through James here, is that that is evil and sinful to live and plan in such a way. Look how he ends this passage, verses 16 17. He says, As it is, you boast in your own arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This type of living that James is talking about, this type of planning your own life without regarding God, This type of planning what you'll do, where you'll go, how much money you'll make without putting God into the equation, without letting him decide your future. He says that is evil and sinful. And that might seem kind of harsh to call that evil because typically when we think about evil, we think about things like abuse. We think about murder. We think about all these like terrible actions like that's evil. And it is like those are evil things. But when we look at how James has been using evil throughout this letter, we see that James has a broader view of evil than sometimes we do. In chapter 2, he uses the word evil to talk about the thoughts used to judge others based on appearance, based on wealth, based on social status. And then last week, uh, he used evil to talk about, uh, to describe the way that we use our tongues to talk about one another, the way we use uh, our judgments of others. See, evil isn't just terrible actions, but evil is a way of thinking and living that's opposed to God. So what James wants them to know, what we need to know, is that planning our lives and living in such a way that is absent of God that disregards God is evil. It's opposed to the way that God has designed us to live. It's sinful. And James, he is kind of building off of what he says in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile or evil practice. So this is just a continuation that the boasting, the arrogance that they have is the same sort of unspiritual and demonic reality. He's saying this type of living is evil, demonic, unspiritual, wrong, and vile. To live life like you're in charge is in opposition to God. To live life like you are in control 
is in opposition to living life faithfully to God. It's anti-Christian. And it's what James calls evil and sinful. And really, this whole passage, it feels kind of like a callback to one of Jesus' parables. James, he steals, uh, he steals teachings from Jesus all the time. Like, here's his brother, it makes sense. And so he refers to Jesus' teachings a lot. And uh, the one that comes to mind is Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. And this is the parable that he gives. Jesus says this, he says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. In other words, he's bringing it in. He's got a ton of land, a ton of crops coming in. And so he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, then I will build bigger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. So he's saying, hey, I've got so much stuff. These buildings are too small. I'm going to tear it down, build bigger ones, so I can store everything. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What made the man in this parable a fool wasn't that he had a lot of money. It wasn't that he was saving. But it was how he went about it. He was a fool for not taking God into account and not taking the own fragility of his life into account. He was more concerned about what he could gather for himself and less concerned about who he was or who God was. He was living life like he was in charge, like he was in control, like he knew what tomorrow would bring. And that's the same point James is making here. That boasting in your arrogance is evil. It's the pride of forgetting God and how you live. And it's making life about you when life is about God. That's what James is rebuking here. That's what he is telling these people. Saying, you're living prideful lives. You're pretending like you're in control of everything. Like you have it all figured out. Like, you know what tomorrow will bring. See, planning in that way is evil, sinful, and wrong. And ultimately, it's a result of your pride. That you think you are better than you are, bigger than you are, more in control than you are. That's the problem that James is pointing to. And so if pride is the main issue leading to this evil boasting, what's the remedy for that? How do we keep ourselves from falling into the same trap that these merchants and traders were falling into? Keeping us from planning our life in disregard of God. I think James gives us the answer within this text. Look again at verse 14. It says in verse 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You want to avoid the same kind of rebuke that James is giving to these guys? You want to avoid the kind of pride that goes into planning your life in disregard from God? You want to avoid that kind of pride? Here are a couple things I think James tells us we need to do if we're going to avoid this. The first one is we need to know that we are limited in knowledge and control. 
Like when you look at that verse, it says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's like we're limited in what we know. We're limited in our knowledge of the future. We're limited in what tomorrow will bring. We have no idea. Our knowledge here on earth is so limited, especially compared to a holy and perfect God who made it all. But not only is our knowledge limited, our control is limited. We can't control tomorrow. We don't make the sunrise. We don't make the rainfall. We definitely can't make our kids listen to us. It's like, we're not in control. If you're a parent, you know that. We were at a wedding yesterday, and uh, our middle boy, he was, poor kid, he was really tired and hungry, so it's not all on him. But he had food in front of him, but the beans touched the taco a little bit, and that was the end of the world. And we tried, like, hey, we can go get you another taco. We'll put stuff, we put new things in front of his plate. It's like, you can't not control a five-year-old who decides they're just going to throw a tantrum in the middle of a wedding, right? You can't control it. We have limited control. We have limited knowledge and we have limited control. And we really need to understand that if we're not going to fall into the pride of thinking that we can plan without God. We need to know that we have limited knowledge and limited control. But we also need to understand how fragile our life is. Look again at verse 14 and how James describes it. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Church, we are fragile people. So easily altered and changed. Here one second and gone the next. Like if you breathe hot enough right now, you might even be able to see it in this room. But you're not going to see it long. It's going to be gone in an instant. Like if you go running or walking, because I don't run, uh, on a cold day, as you breathe, you see your breath, it's gone before it even reaches the end of your face. That's how James describes your life. Or if you have little kids, uh, we were building magnet tiles yesterday, and we have a nine-month-old who likes to just destroy everything he sees. So we're building magnet tiles. The older kids are so excited about it. They see the really cool tower they've made. They're so pumped for it. And then in comes Jones, just like crawling. You can hear the thunk on the floor as he comes in. They start screaming, trying to tell him no, and he just knocks it over. The tower that they were so proud of, the tower they had spent time building, that they had planned on making, that they were so excited for, here one second, gone the next. That's your life. That's the life that James says you live. Here one second, gone the next. And how foolish am I to think that I have the ability to plan out and control my life. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what the next hour is going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow is bringing you are a mist. You don't know what's happening, and your life is fragile. So easily altered, so easily changed, so easily impacted. Here one second, gone the next. And how foolish and prideful is it to think 
that you can plan your life without God. That you are in control of what is going on in your world. You're not in control. You don't know what tomorrow is bringing. You can't control your life. You're fragile. You're missed. Here one moment, gone the next. And that's not to make you depressed. Like that is supposed to bring joy in your life. Realizing, man, I'm not in control. Oh, praise God I'm not in control. We are a mist that is here one moment and gone the next in the blink of an eye. We are limited and fragile. And if we're going to avoid the kind of rebuke that James is giving here, if we're going to avoid godless planning, if we're going to avoid planning our lives and living our lives absent from God and disregarding God, we have to remember just how limited we are and how fragile that we are. But not just that, we also need to trust who God is. We need to know who we are, but we need to trust who God is. Look at verse 15. So it just said, what is your life? You shouldn't plan this way. You don't know what tomorrow brings. And then he says this, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See here, James is giving a contrast for bad planning and good planning. He's saying, this is the bad way to plan, like you are in control, like you know what's going to happen, like you know everything. And he says, here's the good way to plan. If the Lord wills, we will live, go here, do this, and do that. James is saying, you're fragile. You're limited in your knowledge. You're limited in your abilities. You're limited in your control. But you know who's not? God. The Lord. Like, he is over it all. He knows it all. He created it all. He's looking down at it all, in control of it all, in the midst of it all. So it's like, you might not be in control. You might have limited understanding and knowledge, but God doesn't. He knows everything. He is in control of everything. He decides who lives and for how long. He decides what tomorrow is like. He decides what happens to us and the rest of mankind. He decides when the sun comes up and when it goes down. He decides when the rain falls and when the sun shines. Saying, why would you go about planning your life when thinking you're in charge? Instead, plan your life with, like, knowing God is in charge. Like, seek him. He's the one who created it all anyway. He's in charge of it. He knows it all. He's got it all laid out. Saying, don't disregard God. But rightly see yourself as limited in control and fragile and rightly see God, all-knowing, all-powerful, in control of all things. See, James is saying that God is everything that we think we are when we make our own plans. Like when we make our own plans, we think we know what's going to happen. We think we can control the outcome. We think we know what's next. What James is saying here is that God is everything you think you are when you make plans on your own. He is actually in charge. He is actually in control. He actually knows the outcome. And our problem is that so often we live our life like we're God. We live our life like we're in control. We live our life like we put ourselves on the throne and we live and plan according to what we want for us, our agenda, our desires, 
instead of seeking God and surrendering to God. Now, as I was going through this, uh, we've been going through a series in youth uh, called From Garden to City. And we're looking at kind of the different times uh, throughout Scripture, but how it all shares one story. Uh, and this past week, we looked at uh, the kingdom of Israel. And we spent some time in Samuel. And I've been just reading Samuel on my own. And I was reminded of 1 Samuel 12. Because at this point in the nation of Israel's history, they had been uh, judged by other people. And other people had been ruling. But they didn't have a king because God was their king. God had delivered them. And God was supposed to be their king. Yet they decided, you know what? We need to be like everyone else around us. We want like a human king. We want a human to rule us. We don't, we don't want God to rule us anymore. We want a human to rule on behalf of God instead. And this is the warning that Samuel gives them in 1 Samuel chapter 12. He says this, And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside from empty and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. So they thought they knew what they wanted. They thought they knew what was best for them. Yet James is saying essentially, don't live your life going after things that are empty. Don't live your life going after things that can't profit, that can't deliver you. Don't go after those things. Turn to the Lord. Follow him. Trust him. And all of this that James is talking about, it's really, it feels like an application to what we see in verse 10 of chapter 4. In James 4 verse 10 it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's really what James is getting at here. This is an application of humbling yourself. That you would remember who you are. That you're fragile. That you're limited. That you're not over everything. You're not in control. But God is. He's over it all. And when we practice humbling ourselves before him in our planning and our living, that's what honors him. And if we really humbled ourselves in our planning and our living, we would seek him. We would live with faith. So really what James is telling us is that we need to avoid prideful living with prayerful planning and humble surrender. That's what we see in these verses, that we need to avoid prideful living with prayerful planning and humble surrender. That we need to be prayerful in how we plan. We need to be prayerful in the plans that we make, that we need to seek God, that we need to seek his kingdom, seek what he wants for our life. That we need to seek a reality that he wants for us, not the reality that we want for us. I mean, we need to do it prayerfully. Look at verse 15. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We still need to plan. Like, these people are still planning. They're saying, if the Lord wills, we will go do this. We will go do that. They still have a plan, but what are they doing first? They're submitting to God in it. They're seeking him in it. They're making plans, but they're doing it with God in the forefront and recognizing who they are and recognizing who he is. Then they go about making their plans. 
So we need to make our plans, but we can't do it absent from God. So we need to plan prayerfully, and then we need to surrender humbly. Because we also see this in verse 15, that they don't just have plans, they have faith. Now they say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we will do that, and we will live. They don't just make their plans and seek God in their plans. They submit humbly to whatever the Lord wills. And they seem okay with that. Like that sort of plan seems okay to them. It's like, if the Lord wills, we will live. And if the Lord wills, we die, we die. If the Lord wills for us to go here, we'll go there. If the Lord wills for us to go there, we'll go over there. If the Lord wills for us to stay, that's where we'll be. They seek the Lord and prayerfully planning, but they also submit humbly to him with whatever happens. Trusting that he is a good God in complete control of everything. That he is over all things and in control of all things and can be trusted with all things. We need to be people who avoid prideful living with prayerful planning and humble surrender. Or you could put it a little more simply, if you want to really remember it, you could fight prideful living with faith. Fight prideful living with faith. Faith in God to direct your plans. Faith in God to go to God with your plans. And faith in God to trust him with the outcome of your plans. Faith in the making your plans, saying, hey, I'm going to make plans that are faithful to God. I'm going to make plans that put his kingdom at the forefront. Make plans that put his glory on display. I'm going to make faithful plans, but I'm also going to faithfully submit that whatever happens, I trust that we have a faithful and good God. Church, let's not be people that James would write this same warning to. Let's not be people like the merchants and the traders who fall into this boastful arrogance and just planning our life the way that we want to live, how we want to live it, doing what we want to do. Because that's not the life that God calls his people to live. That's not the Christian life. That's not a God-honoring, faithful life. Because by doing that, you're putting yourself as God of your own life, and you make a bad God. You are a mist. You are temporary. And a temporary God is a bad God. So we need to take ourselves off of the throne of our life, off the throne of our own planning, off the throne of our desires. And we need to put God back on the throne of our lives. And instead, may we be people who avoid that kind of living by prayerfully planning out our life. Saying, God, this is what I want to do. Is this what you want for me? Is this going to further your kingdom? Are we going to see your kingdom come more in this way? By prayerfully planning and humbly submitting to him, knowing that we can trust a sovereign and perfect God. Church, and if we can do this, can you imagine the kind of purpose and peace that we would have here on earth? That when we live for ourselves, when we plan for ourselves, our purpose is limited to ourselves. It's limited to our own life. And that if your purpose is for you in your life, the moment you die, your purpose is over. But could you imagine 
if we sought to not just live out the life we want, but the life God has for us, not our own kingdom, but his kingdom, man, what greater purpose is there? What bigger purpose is there than helping God's kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? What bigger purpose is there than participating in God's redemptive work in his creation? There's nothing bigger or better than participating in that plan and being in that purpose. We'd have a bigger purpose and we'd have complete peace. Knowing that God is over all things, in control of all things. And that God is a good God. So that no matter what happens, no matter what pain comes, no matter when our plans don't go exactly the way we think they should go, no matter what happens to us, we would be able to trust God. And because we trust God, we'd have peace knowing that we aren't in control, that we're limited in our knowledge and our understanding and our control, but we serve a God who is not. We serve a God who knows all things, is in control of all things, and is restoring all things to himself. And that would give us so much peace, no matter what life brings us. So church, let's be people who avoid prideful living with faith. Faith in who God is, that he is in control of all things, that we would go to him in our planning, that we'd submit to him no matter what comes. Let's pray. God, you are a good God in control of absolutely everything. We might not know what tomorrow is going to bring. We might not know what the next two hours are going to bring, God, but you do. Our days are already written and numbered. Your plan is already set. God, in what peace that should bring us. Knowing that we are not in control, but you are. That in all the areas we lack, you are perfect. So God, let us be people who don't just acknowledge you and trust you for salvation, but trust you with our living. That live faithful lives because you are a faithful God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.